Hi, this is John Lax, and you're listening to Late Nights with Trav and Lois. Late nights with Travis with Travis and Lowe's. With Travis and Lowe's. Late nights with Travis and Lowe's. Welcome everybody back to Late Nights with Travis and Lowe's. Uh, my name is Travis and this is a podcast. Right here is Lowe's. Lowe's, say what's up. What's up? And he's pointing to me with his big palm. No I, finger. I, I palm I pointed. <laughs> Who I, points with their I palm? Point, I point fumbed. <laughs> what's a palm? <laughs> And to my right, we have John Lax. John, say hello. Hello. So when we, I was going to make a joke when we started this. I'm like, it was like eight o'clock and I was like, it's not really late nights. We're now finally at what I would argue is late night. Yeah. And I feel like we've hit the sweet spot. It's going to be good. Like we're on brand. For yes. The, so I just, I wanted to note that. Yes. It's good. We are on brand. This is normally when we're, this is, yeah. When we're really starting to fire. This is the witching hour. Right, yeah. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> get into it. So I hope you guys listened to last week's episode. That was episode one of John's, uh, John's interview session here. And uh, we're here in San Francisco at John's dinner table, like, He's just been so cool to invite us over. Uh, we met his dog and his girlfriend. It's, it's been great. Um, last last week we talked about uh, his early life and how that led into design. We talked about uh, running the shop and and kind of like what what put him on the map in terms of like mm. you know uh, one of one of your um, oxycon or uh, what do you call that strengths. Um, I talk about Oxycon, I talk about Strengths Finders. Strengths Finders, it's two different things. Yeah, so yeah. one of your Oxycon attributes was like the need to be respected. Yeah. I think that like doing a lot of the work that we discussed last week in T. Hannah Lacks kind of like brought that around. Yeah. And um, made that a big part of your career. And one of the things that made T. Hannah Lacks, uh, which was the um, uh, design consultancy that you ran for, tw- for 12 years, yeah. for 12 years um, so popular is that you guys would give to the community give 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 and um, of course that returned in other ways but um, what I want to start with this episode is talking about what happened after you closed mm-hmm. the shop and um, I remember when it happened it was like kind of it wasn't nice like what happened online uh, there were some medium articles there were some tweets what I want to ask you John is what was it like waking up in the morning and finding out that the internet was like a little bit mad with you. Um, so the internet had been very kind to us through our whole mm-hmm. existence. We had very little criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really a first time that we had been on the other side of it. Yeah. And the thing that was upsetting to me was I have you guys seen the LCD sound system documentary? Shut up and play the hits. No, I've I've just heard one album. I've never. Okay, so I I recommend. I I love that phrase though. Yeah, so (laughs) it's really good. I feel like I know exactly what you're going to say now. It's it's about when LCD Sound System (laughs) retired, which Mm -hmm. they've now come out of retirement. But it was they did two final shows at at Madison Square Garden at the time, and in the documentary, Chuck Klosterman the the journalist and author um, is interviewing James Murphy from Mm -hmm. LCD Sound System and he says he says the wind down of this band is incredibly orderly there's an announcement there are two final concerts there's a final album there's two final concerts Mm -hmm. it's all very clean and he says when you start a band do you think how it's going to end right and 
then the documentary goes on and basically the idea that James Murphy had was we're going to end this thing. You know, if we're going to throw a funeral, let's throw the best damn funeral we can. Right. 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 And I was, that was going through my head a lot as we, when we were making the decision to stop doing what we were doing, the only analogy I could have was like a band that a lot of people liked who were deciding not to stop playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was like the closest thing I could think of. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause we kind of had these fans yeah. that we didn't intentionally go out to get. Right. We were just trying to like do what we wanted and the thing that we thought we could create. And along the way we acquired people who, who were just kind of into it. Now yeah. we were saying like we weren't going to do this anymore. Right. And I was hoping <laughs> that people would be like, "Hey, we get it. Thank you for all everything you've done. This has been awesome." And instead there was a lot of anger. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. So you were aware that there would be some conversation around it. Yeah, but you, but you I, planned for that at least. I thought it would be more like I thought there'd be disappointment or sadness like everybody on the same page like yeah this is like like saying goodbye to a friend or yeah something. like I kind of wanted it and maybe this was just my own wishful thinking yeah but I kind of wanted it to be like look we did this for 12 years we did what we wanted we're doing something different mm-hmm. let's not like be sad about the like let's just like look there's we leave behind this body of work we are very proud of what we've put out into the mm-hmm. world. We think we can hold our head up. Like I can look myself in the mirror and I just hope that people would. I thought it was this interesting moment where like we would exit and other companies, like there was like some really amazing young companies, mm-hmm. like they would step forward. Like to me, it felt very, I mean, obviously it felt logical to me because I was processing it yeah. for a long time, mm-hmm. but the anger I had a hard time processing. Why were they so angry? So, good question. And it took me a long time to uh, to understand it. And I didn't actually come to understanding it. Someone else explained it to me. Because I asked them about Like, I've, I've asked people about, like, why were people so angry? Like, yeah, okay. people in the industry who mm-hmm. were more objective than I could ever be. Sure, you're right in the and middle the of it. And the best explanation I heard was someone said, we were following you. You were the guys that were like, we're trying to be like you. And what happens when the people you're trying to be like say, we're not doing this anymore? Like, what does that mean? Like, what does that, where does that leave right. you? Like, right. You're like, but wait, I was following you. <laughs> uh-huh. And you're now like not there. Like you've basically said like you shouldn't be doing this. So the rest <laughs> of the industry kind of felt a, a un, uh, like a, in unison, some type of existential crisis. Who am I? What am I even trying to do <laughs> if John and, and Jeff are not doing this? Or like, like we're, and, gonna go, we're all going to go to Facebook now. We're all, <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that, that what that misunderstood was that, you know, I had done consulting for 17 years. I felt like I had accomplished the things that I wanted to accomplish yeah. and that the challenges that were, the challenges that laid out ahead of me were less interesting than the challenges that were behind me. Mm-hmm. And as a consultant. Yeah. And just yeah. as like, I think I was looking for in a, you know, I don't want to speak for the other partners. I will only speak for myself, mm-hmm. but like I was definitely interested in new challenges. And I think one of the things about consulting is that once you've done it for a while, despite your energies to try to like change things in the market dynamic, there's a sort of a, there's a constant that is always there. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's a labor-intensive business. You need to like always be bringing in new business. Mm-hmm. There's a pressure to scale it. Um, you can't 
I mean, there are, by the way, there are people who will dispute me on this, but I believe that you can't just kind of keep these things a, a size forever. Okay. Um, unless you're able to raise your prices in lockstep with, you know, cost of inflation mm-hmm. and that includes wage inflation, but increasing your prices by like 10% every year is just really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I just think like there's always this urge to and need to scale and grow. And we had gotten to a point where the next step of growth would have meant multiple offices. Okay. It was just would have been a very different company. Yeah. yeah. And I just wasn't that interested in doing that. Right. And so now you start to go, okay, well, what am I interested in doing? Anyway, having said that, I think that, that the anger that like, and there were people who came to our defense. There were people who said like, look, they, they chose to start this. They get to choose to end it. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, like this is their choice. <laughs> right. It's and not. like, why do they owe you anything? I mean, yeah. I had one person say to me online that the minute I hired one employee, it ceased to be my business. And I, and like, I, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't make this choice. Uh-huh. And that I was really offended by. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so how do you respond to something like that? You can't. I mean, like, and that was one of the challenges at the time was like, there was this rising thing. And it was just, we knew that we couldn't engage in the debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we tried very, very, in very small ways to try to like put our version out. But we knew at the time it wasn't going to be worthwhile. And at the same time, we had uh, employees who were hurt mm-hmm. and confused. They weren't coming along mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what their next thing was going to be. They very rightfully you know, were taking to these channels to express that their future was uncertain. Mm. And so some of the criticism came from um, employees that didn't come with you to Facebook. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that got, there was really one or two employees who were really upset about it. And that's that's a very close place to get, get some criticism from. right? Yeah. And I think, I think that it, it was, it was fine. Like I, I think, they have a right to have said those things. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think the I think you don't need to be liked. <laughs> well, <laughs> the thing that I was upset about was that I felt like, I felt like we had earned the right to take a bow that mm-hmm. was taken away from us. So a minute ago, well, kind of when we started this segment of the conversation, you, you referenced LCD sound system yeah. and how their closing down their production was orderly and without whimpers um what would you have done differently it's a good question um and i've thought about this a lot i think i'm not sure like i'm not sure there's any scenario where this thing winds down perfectly orderly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of moving parts in these things the timings are always incredibly complicated um there were a small number of things logistically I think we just, I've never shut down a company before. Right. Yeah. I didn't know. Like, mm-hmm. I just didn't know how to do it. I did my best. How many books are there on building companies? Yeah. How many on shutting them down? On winding them down. <laughs> so, for example, <laughs> one, of, one of the things that we just, the timing of it was, was pretty rushed. We were coming up against the holidays mm-hmm. when we had to tell people. Like, there was just a bunch of timings that were not optimal. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things is we didn't have like, when we told everyone we hadn't worked through with the lawyers 
exactly everyone's severances. We were still working through it. Oh, I see. And so you're told them one day, like, look, you're not going to have a job in the new year. You're going to get some amount of severance, but we don't exactly know like what it is yet, but don't worry. Like, trust us. It's going to be really, really like good. Mm -hmm. Uh Well, if you're the person who's just lost your job, that's like a shitty answer. (laughs) And I get that. Yeah. But the alternative was like, this thing was going to leak pretty soon. Like it was going to, it was clear that something was going on in the company because we were like stopping, taking on new business. Like it just, the Mm -hmm. employees knew something was up. Mm -hmm. And so now you're balancing, like, do we say something? Like, what do you, so the timings are all really awkward. I wish I could have done some small things differently, but I think that there is no perfect way to do this. Um, um, There was, uh, there was one thing that I actually was pretty, adamant about that I may have done differently, which is, um, in other, some other companies had done stuff where like they had listed the people who were going to be out of work and like, here's their portfolios, here are their GitHubs, things like that. Okay. And I was objecting to that because I felt like once again, this is probably something I would have done differently. I would have given the people who like, first of all, all the people who, who didn't come along have all gone on to, you know, they're all fine. Like yeah. they've gotten I would, jobs. Yeah. I mean, like, that was one of the comments <laughs> in our office when we were discussing it. Like, like these are world-class creators. Yeah, they're right. going to be okay. They're yeah. going to be. And all like, right. for example, like one of the people, um, some of the people have gone on to some really interesting things that actually aren't design related. Like our head of strategy opened a brewery in Toronto. Yeah. And he's like, he's doing awesome stuff, <laughs> like a passion thing. And like that was created cause he, lost his job and yeah you know it's like one of those eat pray love kind of movies where yeah, like yeah <laughs> now i can do my yeah, brewery like, passion <laughs> um some of the people started a company with one of our clients who was left out in the cold exactly the same way jeff and i started the company and yeah. they are now in la and they are like working on that client and i speak to them and i see them and i like and i i talk to the i've email back and forth with the previous client and I yeah. think it's awesome that they've now built a little a, a, not a little a business yeah. Yeah. doing this so but in the moment that's just not clear yeah, yeah. So like that's just uncertainty. not like it's all just like yeah. I'm out of work yeah. right and so and there's anger and frustration mm. um, and you gotta let that happen so like I said the there are some things I would do differently um, I think that like I said the thing that I have a, not a regret but I wish it happened was I wish I wish that that wasn't the cloud. I wish there was a way where we could have gone out into the sunset a little bit more gracefully because it seems like a shame after all the like awesome stuff to have it end on that kind of sour. Yeah, you mentioned you were kind of stolen the final bow, right? Which is ideally what I wanted. Yeah. Now, I will say that like even inside of that moment, um, you know, I thought I I thought the last day of Tina Lax was really, really beautiful. Um, we were all finishing work. We were literally like pushing code to clients on the last day. Like we were still like working on stuff on the very, it was a Friday. Yeah. It was January 31st. We. That's quite a deadline. Yeah. We, oh, we, we this like. This company won't exist tomorrow. <laughs> Friday, it was a Friday, January 31st. No, get this. January 31st. Yeah. yeah. We were, we, we pushed our final code at like 4.30 or something like that. Yeah. Whole, whole company went to a bar in Toronto. Almost, not everyone, but like, I think we there were about 90 alumni of TN and Lax 
you know, who had worked yeah, yeah, over the 12 yeah. years Whoa. at the company. Yeah. I think about 75 or 80 of them showed up at this bar. We had drinks, we hugged, we saw people. Like there were, there were some employees I hadn't seen in five or six, seven years who came, we had a drink, we, 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 we shared stories. Like there were also some like tangential friends of the company that yeah. came and it was very joyous. And, and I mean, it was, it was good. And then I, on the Saturday, I went out with some friends of mine that night and on Sunday, I got on a plane and came to San Francisco on Monday, I started Facebook. But <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds very picturesque. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I probably, I wish I had some time in between, but that <laughs> it was, that was how it worked. Well, I'm just talking about like the reunion episode that you just painted for yeah. us. It was know? nice. It was like, it was really like nice. that's, the college years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like everybody's back for one, like one last season or something. Yeah. Like, it's pretty good. Um, now what's the timeline look like in terms of like, is this, you're at, you're at the, you know, with the alumni at the, at the bar with like the friends of the mm-hmm. company and has the media already kind of taken to you Yeah, guys? we were, we were like, we were still in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. I think though, by this point, the people, who were like not coming with, they started, I, I think they were, there was a lot of outpouring of like companies being like connected. And we were, we were behind the scenes. Like we had, they had lists, we had lists of like all the amounts of like people would email me. I would be like, they have a list going. I would give it, there was sort of a group of employees who were maintaining like offers okay. and like they had a Slack channel like inside of the Tina Lack Slack yeah, that right. I was not in, but I knew existed. <laughs> um, and so we were like facilitating like, Hey, you know, this company in New York's looking like happy to talk to people, this company, like I was talking to people, I was giving referrals. Like, so by the time like January 31st came around, I think there was maybe more of a sense, like everyone was going to be okay, even though if they didn't specifically know right. what they were doing, there were like a lot of options on the table. Mm-hmm. And that people were going to figure it out. By yeah. this time, we had all the severances figured out, and they were, you know, there, people had months and months and months of, I mean, not everyone, but like it was effectively a month of severance for every year you worked there. And we had employees who were there nine years. Okay. You know, like, like we had, not all of them, but like we had people who were there quite a long time. Right. Yeah. And so they kind of understood they had time to figure this out and they had options and they would just like probably be okay. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the uncertainty was not there. Or even if it was there, it was just mitigated more. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that it was, and I think that, that, I mean, my sense of it was that people were willing to kind of like celebrate the thing that we had all been a part of mm-hmm. at that point. And which is what I ideally wanted. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that for everyone who was part of Teen and Lax, uh, over its, over its history, that they recognize that they had been part of something and help build something and create something and then the work we created and then the impact we had on the community like the one great thing the one great thing and bad thing about being in toronto is we didn't have any real sense of the impact we were having because we weren't here you're we isolated here. we were isolated yeah which huh. was actually like one of our assets yeah right <laughs> is because we were just doing stuff that we thought was kind of interesting yeah. and not really realizing the impact we have and it wasn't until um i would say like 2011 or 2012 when i went to the first xoxo hmm in Portland was the first time I got some sense of it where someone came up and asked to have their pic, like realized who I was and asked to have their picture <laughs> taken with me, which I had never had happen before. And I thought it was like super weird. <laughs> and, but was like a little bit like shaky and like 
said that the reason they became a designer was because okay. they had you know come across the PSD and started like fig- try to figure out how it worked. Right. And, and and I came back and like told that story to people internally, and I don't think they really understood. They're like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then we started having things where like people would show up at the office and want to have pictures taken at the office. They would show up and they would get the address. We had um <laughs> in one of the uh in, like what is that like? Like a rock star in a hotel or something. Yeah. Like like this is a, like we are like our celebrity is very very small. <laughs> um, but but we have um I don't know if you've seen this. It's on Vimeo. It should still be on Vimeo and stuff like that. But there is, we did this one Christmas card where we painted, Jeff and I painted ourselves blue yeah. to replicate our logo, mm-hmm. our, which is us sitting in, in chairs. Yeah. And the chairs that we have are in our lobby, like these blue chairs in our lobby. Yeah. So people would come and like sit in the blue chairs and like, <laughs> mimic. mimic. It's, like, it's like Disney. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or like McDonald's was, sitting next to Ronald like, like <laughs> outside the front door. Well, when people started to see that happening like in the company, they're like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and I try to explain to them like, no, you don't even understand. Like when we go to San Francisco, because not all of them were like coming out here in yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah. And like this kind of stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Like the work we're doing is having this really big impact. Yeah. Um. And I mean, I think some of them have figured it out over time. Like a few of them went to a conference at um, Thirty Seven Signals. Um. And they came back and they're like, Oh my god! When everyone found out we were from TN and Lax, they were just like asking us questions and wanting to know this stuff. And they're like, like, what the fuck's going on? And so we were just so isolated. I mean, it's a little bit of being Canadian, right? We have real outsiders you know, <laughs> syndrome. Um, like, that's a very Canadian thing. Yeah. Also, we were just, like, in Canada, in Toronto, no one understood what we were doing. Yeah, right. Like, they just, like, the industry there is very much, like, ad agencies. Mm-hmm. And they, like, do not understand what we were doing. Yeah. At it's all. It's pretty epic to, like be an outsider but actually leading mm-hmm. the industry that's crazy it doesn't happen a lot uh-huh. that's pretty great so how do you how do you come back from the kind of like a little bit of a beating you guys got i mean you just you just you just go and do your work right i, I yeah. think um there wasn't much we could do about it. Yeah. I think like trying to argue with the internet was not going to be that <laughs> successful. There's a lot um, more of internet than there is. Of yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember, I remember sure. talking to Andy McMillan, um, who runs XOXO with Andy Bale, uh-huh. who are friends. Uh-huh. And we had sponsored, we had been one of the, we were the first sponsor of XOXO. Yeah. Um, like literally the very first person to reach out and say, well, I want to sponsor this. And I was talking to him about it. And I was pretty worried because I think like Andy and Andy are a very independent-minded thing. And so, like, going to Facebook is, like, the antithesis of what they do. And Andy McMillan was, like, super sweet and generous about it. Mm. And he's like, the internet's going to think what the internet's going to think. Like, you got to, like, move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, who cares? Right. And that was really important for me. And so I just kind of was like, okay, I got – there's this – I made this decision to come to Facebook. There's things I want to accomplish yeah. here. There's things I want to do here. Let's just go do those. And I just – kind of felt like in time well first of all in time i would be able to tell the story like yeah. my side of the story which i'm doing right now yeah which, I don't, which i've never done before you never talked about this i've never talked about this before okay um i've actually i was asked to talk about it in the past and i've refused too um, sour at the at, too, it was soon. Just too soon too soon yeah. you know i feel like enough time has passed mm-hmm. and enough perspective yeah um and on and so that and um i i, I think that I've started to accomplish some things at Facebook that I think are very valuable in themselves, even though they may not be as widely known in the design community. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy with some of the things that 
I'm starting to do at Facebook and and working through there. So. Yeah, that that was one of the questions I have is like, as your career is changing, as you're kind of like the way that you influence others is also changing. Um, how do you see the industry changing? So I think the industry is at a really interesting point in time. Uh huh. Um, I think that we're in a moment right now where the way I think about it, if I go back to like 1994 and I think about design and you know, if you start in 1994, the amount of design diversity we have, and I'm defining diversity as, you know, unique kind of things that are being created on the internet. Okay. It's pretty small, right? We have the initial browsers. They don't do much. <laughs> they're, they're pretty limited in what mm-hmm. they can, in their presentments. Right. Um, so if you think about that small, right, and then it starts to grow. The browsers get more sophisticated. Bandwidth starts to open up a little bit more. Mm. We start to get more ability. Flash comes in, which is like a really, I mean, you can crap on Flash all you want, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a really important. It, it pushed the envelope a lot. It was a really, well, it gave us a whole bunch of um, ability to, to, to do things like creatively that we couldn't do in HTML, like HTML and CSS didn't exist, but like HTML, like couldn't even do, right? Mm-hmm. So the ability to do tweening and the ability to like sound and, and, and motion, that was really important. And so that sort of kicks off this, if you're sort of imagining your mind's eye, like as a timeline is going, the, you know, the diversity starts to increase and you really get this explosion by the early 2000s where I think we really peak in terms of design diversity sometimes between like 2000 and mid 2000s where you have Mm -hmm. this perfect concoction of the maturity of browsers the maturity of design understanding like you go through that point in the early 2000s where like Doug Bowman does the wire.com redesign where we start to understand CSS and positioning and grid Mm -hmm. layout is like opening up a whole new Mm -hmm. realm on top of at the same time a a, a simultaneous explosion more on the advertising side in terms of storytelling with video and, yeah. and interactivity and the fly. I mean, this is like the heart of FWA yeah. sites, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like yeah. mid two thousands. Um, people are really doing a lot of stuff. So you have like this massive amount of design diversity and then really starting in 2008 with the first iPhone and blogging software, like a word apart. And really I will, I will throw two of my friends under the bus uh, <laughs> with boot with bootstrap and the boilerplates that come out in like 2010, we start to actually see this reduction in design diversity because mm. all of that diversity, while great creatively, is actually not great experientially. Mm. Right? People have to learn new menu systems every time they go to a site. How it's going to load right. is like not good. And it turns out that what people really like is actually not a lot of design diversity, but is like consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you get to mobile, and that's like. The, that sort of accelerates this this declining of of diversity, where there's patterns that just seem to work and that people seem to like, and it becomes more important for us. Yes, we want to create things that have like joy and pleasure, and I think that really that is an important thing. But in reality, when you look at like what's being produced, websites all kind of look the same mm-hmm. at this point. Once again, I blame Bootstrap, but just <laughs> they all have a similar layout. Primarily because they need to be responsive. Um, there's a whole bunch of boilerplate that works really well. We just kind of learn like these systems people are familiar with and they mm-hmm. like. And while inside of that, but like I can't remember. I remember in the even in up until 2009, 2010. I mean, have you seen this site? And like people, 
when was the last time you saw someone like send you a website that really blew your mind? Yeah, I I don't even look for them anymore. No, but like you remember a moment where yeah, that, that oh, was it used to be we pass them around all the time. I mean, there were yeah. sites dedicated yeah. to showing you other sites that did great design. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking like K10K. I'm talking like like News oh gosh, Today. K-10K. Like like there like there's the the design blog site Core 77. I it mean, just had like a flashback. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> like, that was like the height of where we had this real design. Was a yeah. And we're in a moment right now, and this is no one's fault. Like, do not go like this is Facebook's fault. This is a, we're just in a moment right now from a design standpoint where what technology and people and the industry that is 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 really sort of rationalized around a smaller number of choke points of distribution so snapchat mm-hmm. um i think what snapchat's done is it's created a new format mm-hmm. of display that we didn't previously have mm-hmm. which i think is going to actually create another sort of explosion of a certain type of diversity mm-hmm. of visual diversity but not like the a list apart era of mm-hmm. you know open web right. you know, design diversity which a lot of designers are very nostalgic for i'm nostalgic for it i loved it i'm not sure it's coming back mm. and i think we can bemoan it and be very upset i think something else will come yeah i don't know what it is but i don't think that that is coming back and i think trying to fight to you know against it is going to be probably a losing battle it's so interesting john like when when we had kind of touched on this topic before we started recording i said you know let's talk about the futurism and where things are going um i i I completely assumed that you'd be talking about device diversity how it's expanding and how you know designers are needing to adopt new things and create new patterns but instead you're telling us like another story which which is really blowing my mind and i don't disagree with you like I, i see what you're saying and and it's a a, uh, not a new perspective, but you're saying things that I'm like, yeah, I, I knew that, but I never like thought of it that way. Verb- yeah, verbal. Yeah. yeah, I think what we're in is just, and then once again, these things change; they're not static. Like, yeah. we will move into a different phase. But I think sure. right now, what the phase we're in is, I think what designers are going to have to be really good at for some period of time. I don't know exactly how long is working inside of systems that are a little bit more rigid in that value consistency of, of experience over diversity yeah. of visual diversity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I, I just think that's where we are right now. And so where I really encourage designers is to spend time on product thinking. Yeah. Um, because how it works is pro- not that how it looks isn't important, but you, what you control and that's going to be more limited right now. Mm-hmm. And so value moves somewhere else in the system, mm-hmm. right? In the same way that when I talked about it, Tina Lacks, we like technology commoditized value moves to design. I think we're in a cycle where design's still really important, but I'm not sure like creating some net, you know, radical new, you know, navigation system is the best thing to do right now. Right. What I think will break this will probably be AR, and VR visual computing. I don't know what that looks like, but it, you know, uh-huh. it's probably still five to 10 years off. Right. But there's gonna have to be some fundamental like shift in technology in the same way that the shift in technology that happened in the early 2000s was like the creation of CSS, more power, larger screens, mm. right? Like we had, we basically moved from desktops to laptops. The laptops had really good, re- you know, better resolutions. They had um, better GPUs. 
the browsers started to get like better layout you know mm -hmm. we were able to control text and, and layout and that allowed for an explosion of creativity mm -hmm. the mobile world has constrained us a little bit more and for a variety of technical and you know sociological reasons but i think the thing that breaks us out of it will probably be another shift in technology either there might be some like i think they're talking about i mean apple's got a, a new event on september 7th mm -hmm. okay and one of the things they're talking about is like a much more powerful camera in it that might actually unlock a bunch of like AR stuff mm -hmm. that we're, the cameras are more powerful. And so we're able to do something. Maybe they're going to do stereoscopic, stereoscopic cameras. Right. Maybe the, you know, that which then suddenly once you have depth, you can mm -hmm. do some more interesting things with that. I, you know, I don't mm -hmm. exactly know. I don't have Apple's roadmap, <laughs> but we need some sort of technological shift for it to unlock a new dimension for us to design it. Yeah. So, yeah. so what would you tell um, someone who's who's trying to figure out this the layout of the land here right now, um, and they want to be in a good place in ten years, five years? Yeah. What would you tell them to start looking at and thinking about? So, this is a bias I have. Sure, it's got to be. I will. I will call it out. <laughs> um, I think your ability to think through product problems is probably a stable. Um, place and you do that through a design lens meaning you're able to sort of understand like hey this is a thing we could go and build um, and here's why we can build it and here's like some user insight and things like that so really once again being able to deal with ambiguity being able to understand what problems you're solving who you're solving them for how you'll know if you solve them really thinking about your pro the products you're designing I think that in the near term picking the precise right pixel to put on the screen in the exact right place will become less valuable for a period of time. Mm -hmm. Especially when you work inside of a, a product, if you're working in product design and you're working in a product that has formed a system, mm -hmm. yeah. whether it's material design or I don't know what's at, at, at last mm -hmm. but I'm sure you have some design system yeah. that you operate inside of where there's a whole bunch of design decisions that are removed from you. You don't have to decide what font to use. You don't have to decide what color to use. You don't have to decide like what a button looks like. Because right? those problems don't bring in the value in anymore. Well, right. they, once you've established them, you it's, want to create a. Yeah. You want to create it. I heard. Um. Do you know the the designer Mark Newsom? Here, Mark Newsom, uh, an Australian designer. He actually works at Apple now. Okay. Um, but he's an industrial designer, furniture designer, watch uh, designs okay. watches. Yeah, got him. He's a Ive friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, I heard him do a career retrospective a number of years ago at the um, um, uh, International Contemporary Design Fur I, I, the International Contemporary Design Furniture Fair in New York, and he had this great thing where he said he was showing his work through his career, and you started to see in his career things he had designed reappear. Mm -hmm. So a good example of it was he had designed a light fixture for a restaurant that he was working on. So in this restaurant, he designed everything from the light fixtures to the cutlery to the, like, okay. the interior. And the light fixture just had this certain shape to uh -huh. it. And then Ford, a number of years later, asked him to work on a concept car. And the exact same shape of the, sh of the light was the steering wheel. Like I'm talking like the exact same shape, <laughs> but just not a, not a light. You know, not a light. <laughs> and he said that he thought his job as a designer was to create an alphabet and then spend the rest of his career recombining that alphabet into different words. Okay. And that was a really like yeah. impactful, like yeah. I was like, holy shit. Like you don't have to create something new every time. Yeah. Right. What you have to do is figure out how to recombine the things you've already created. Yeah. And so, and there's great creativity inside of that. 
right? And so if you think about these design systems we work in as the alphabet, there's many words you can create yeah. you know, with the same 26 letters. Yeah. Um, so I think that designers' ability to create connection between disparate things and not have to be so obsessed about, I need to create that button from whole cloth. Yeah, yeah. Or that thing from whole cloth. I think those are deep skills that service you because you're able, if you have that ability, to combine things in new and novel ways, to see connections, to so that then the the other stuff kind of will shift and move under your feet. Yeah. But you're okay, right? Right. Um, in, in doing that, and I think too many designers get like obsessed about like what JavaScript framework should I use, <laughs> right? Or or like flat design should I do flat design? Like is it like material? Like like those are not important. They really are not. What? I yeah. just can't count the conversations. What? <laughs> but like that's focusing. Like, I have, uh, just just to like agree with you. I have this video called uh, what, "What JavaScript Framework Should I Use?" Because I do a lot of YouTube stuff, and um, and I spend like twenty minutes talking about how why that's a stupid question, <laughs> and and everybody watches that video and they're all mad, right? Because <laughs> it's so unsatisfying, right? <laughs> I, that's like the most downvoted video. Yeah. I have. yeah. Because when you're young, you want someone to tell you how to do it, right? Prescriptive, mm-hmm. like yeah. we talked about before, mm-hmm. and and I think that the you move through a phase. Like you probably did this, I did this. I, I could probably go upstairs and pull it out, but like I tried to mimic Wired magazine when mm-hmm. I first like when I was in journalism school. Wired had just come out, and it was hugely influential to me. Yeah, but I didn't fully understand how they like why they were doing what they were doing or how they were doing what they were doing. And I tried to mimic their layouts in like our student magazine, yeah. right? Which was printed on newsprint. And of course, what I didn't understand is like the paper in the six color Heidelberg press they were using, whatever, like I was not. But I tried, like, I, I, I like mimicked it. It looked yeah. terrible, right? I just had all these gradients. And yeah. like I was mimicking the thing without really deeply understanding why they were doing yeah. it or how they were doing it. And like, I, and it was a failure, right? Mm. And and I did that as well, I think, in my initial website designs. Because that's what you do in your right? Yeah. You, you, yeah. You, 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 you copy, copy until you figure it out. But the I think as, the quicker you can move through that phase, the better. I think that too many people get stuck in that phase for far too long. That's interesting. One, one thought about that, though, is, you know, like like you said to, to Los before you mentioned, like, copying right we've all we've all done it yeah mm-hmm. and i think it's necessary yeah um there's a there's a speaker who who does um everything is a remix yeah. series you know yeah okay um and in it he talks about how copying is the 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 first form of of creating new things yeah we copy something and then we transform it yeah and we combine it with other things and this is a you know, and he points out that this is the only way that creation happens. Yeah, and um, and a lot of a lot of um, maybe this is where the hangup comes from. You're saying like people get stuck in that phase for too long because th- there's like some type of shame that's built into copying, right? Like we're taught not to copy at school, plagiarism, so forth. Um, but recognizing that that copying is a part of creativity, it's a necessary step. I think can actually help people to get to the next step too. And I think that that the the challenge with copying isn't the copying it's that you don't deeply understand what you're copying mm. 
or why. So you're just, it's like the cargo cult, right? You're just, you're, you're, you're mimicking the surface yeah. without, and I think it's okay. Like I think when Bob Dylan was copying, you know, Woody Guthrie mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. and like, uh, or sorry, Arlo Guthrie and like, and like, you know, the, 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 the deep, you know, folk music tradition he understood at a deep level what he mm. was doing. Led Zeppelin with blues, like mm-hmm. once again talking about music. Yeah. Picasso, you know, in his early career was like copying more traditional things until he, yeah. he got other. But I think they understood what they were doing. I think the challenge I have with a lot of young designers is they don't take the time to really deeply think about what they're copying, why they're copying, understanding what that the original creator was. So, for example, going back to something we talked about before, David Carson, I think there were mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, a lot of people who mimic David Carson's um, mm. styles. And then eventually, once you understood what he was doing, you that's when you can be creative, mm-hmm. right? You can go like, oh, I see how he is taking classic letter forms and using these new tools to like warp them mm-hmm. to say something new. But if all you were trying to do was like figure out how he did that in, you know, Illustrator, you only get so far. Mm. Right. And so I think one of the challenges with like the, what JavaScript framework should I use <laughs> is they go like, what JavaScript did that use? Okay. I'm just going to go do that. It's like, you need to understand why they chose that. Yeah. One. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that, then, okay, cool, go. But just not enough intentionality or right. self-awareness there. How, how does one get into that frame of thinking? So um, you, you hit self-awareness right on the head. That's where I wanted to go with you next. Yeah. How do, how does a designer become, Will transition from a copier, from an executor, from, yeah. from a, you know, a production person, to that product thinker that you're talking about. How do you how do you make that transition? So, I think that the first thing you do is just you know, there's that five whys method that people okay. say you just keep asking why five times until you get to the root of something. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what's this JavaScript? Why no? Why do they use this JavaScript? You get some answer. Why did you do that? You get some answer. Why did you mm-hmm. do that? You keep drilling yeah. down. And so really understanding the why is, a, is an important, is an important um, skill to learn and just mm-hmm. to ask the question. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's a pretty easy way to start. In terms of product thinking, product thinking is really about deeply understanding the problem you're solving for people mm-hmm. and then um, constructing around that problem um, and trying to understand all of the moving parts inside of it. I think that that's just a lot of experience i think you just gotta like do it a bunch you gotta work with other people who've done it you gotta you gotta you gotta listen to the debates that people have you gotta like really understand that there's these things don't happen by accident Mm -hmm. they're they're intentional um even though people try a lot of things that don't always work out ideally good product thinking is intentional the thing i hate about crappy product thinking is this kind of fail fast mantra Mm -hmm. that's been put out is being used as an excuse to do a lot of dumb shit, and and, and that I don't like. I don't like. I don't. Oh man, we're failing fast. It's like that was a stupid idea to begin with. Like you, you would have, you could know that was gonna fail. Yeah. Right. right. Um, if, if we if we kind of adhere to design thinking, um, failing fast often comes from jumping the first two steps. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, let's go into production right now. Let's let's test something out right now, even if it's a bad idea. Well, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. You need to do research and definition first. Yeah. And then jump into. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that a- I think that a lot of I think in the one of the things the internet does badly is like these little 
truisms and posters get propagated without deep understanding of like what's behind them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I talk to some young founders sometimes or people who want to found a company and they like spew back to me these things and they just like they haven't spent any time really understanding yeah well you don't you don't want to fail fast i was, I was you, say, you like, wanna... don't people run around the facebook <laughs> office and say move fast and break things isn't that you shot that from the rooftops i think they're maturing i think i think they call out and i think i think that's actually like i think well first of all i think that that there's there's been an acknowledgement that that there's a spirit to that that's good, but that there's an embodiment that that's really negative. Yeah. Um, I also think the company has understood that, especially at this scale, yeah. you just can't break things for people. They, it's just, it's just not it's, good. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. happened a few times, and no, it's I, I not think that good. At, yeah. <laughs> it's happened a few times. Well, yeah. I think at this point, that is certainly a myth that that's a good idea. Yeah. It's a, it's but a part. The spirit, yeah, the like spirit is really so. The spirit of it mm-hmm. is really about creating a feedback loop as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is a really good message, mm-hmm. right? At the heart of it is like, you want to create a feedback. I asked my, my former boss, um, I'm going to give a shout out to Mike Vernal. Um, when I first came to Facebook, mm-hmm. he was my boss and he's now at Sequoia. And I asked him, what is the one thing you know to be true about building products? And he thought for a moment, he said, create a feedback loop as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a really good piece of advice. And I think that's really what's at the heart of move fast and break things, which is you want to create a feedback loop to start to learn as mm-hmm. quickly as possible. Right. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. But I think that you want to understand what feedback loop you're creating. You want to understand how you will know if it's good. You want to like, there's more to it than just like start to collect data. Yeah. Right. How are you measuring success? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. Like, and was it what you expected? Right. The, the other thing I really actually encourage designers to do is to is to really internalize the scientific method. Form a hypothesis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Know yeah. how to test it. Yeah. Have countermetrics, <laughs> yeah. right? Run some experiments. Yeah. Uh, did it do the thing you thought it was yeah. going to do? Did it not? Like, like I think, like grade eight science, yeah. right? <laughs> That's really good. That's good. That's encouraging. Why is that encouraging, Liz? Um, I, I did a recent project and... I have a hypothesis and like lay out my process and uh-huh. it's just nice to hear. Yeah. From the nineties. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's the scientific method. The scientific method. That's good. You, you mentioned earlier about people, you know, becoming self-aware through maturity, through experience and things like that. Um, how important is being aware of yourself, uh, aware of your position in the, in the world? How important that is to the work that you do, John? Um, I think that I became a better designer or creator. I, I don't really think of myself as a designer. I think of myself sort of like a creative professional because I, I think I wasn't trained as a designer. I had a very short career very early on where I actually designed things. And mm-hmm. I very quickly moved into just sort of like being a creative professional, like being really a creative manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a bit disrespectful for people who went to design school and are really great designers for me to say like I'm a designer because I, I, I don't think I am in the same mm-hmm league at all like right. at all at all at all um um i self-identify with designers meaning mm-hmm. like if i had to pick a group that i think most similarly to and that i self-identify with it's designers but yeah. i don't perceive myself specifically as a designer okay um but i think that what made me a really good creative professional is in my 30s i did a bunch of therapy and i okay. actually think it's probably one of the best things 
I recommend everyone at some point in their life to spend some time in therapy because it forces you to introspect. Yeah. Um, that's um, good. Our, our last episode we pushed out, we talked about therapy. Just, okay. the, just yesterday. Just yesterday. Okay, okay. I haven't yeah. listened. I uh, clearly have not listened no, to No, no, it's okay. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's, I listened to the Andy Law one. It was amazing. This yeah. one will be disappointing in, in <laughs> no, contrast. No. no, it's not required of our guests to hear yeah, the episode. Yeah. But um, Los is just commenting that like, I expressed a desire like, I think I'm going to start doing therapy. And when I told my wife, she was like, why? What's wrong? And, uh, you know, my response was like, was like I, I don't think anything's wrong per se, but... I think that that there's more understanding that I could do, and I don't have the tools to dig in there. Yeah. And I need some. I need a coach. Yeah. And um and like in talking with Lois, I, I like that's that's been something that has been on my mind lately. In fact, I I called a few places. Yeah. And um, did some like pre-interview kind yeah. of kind of work. I'm still working on it though. <laughs> so w- what did you gain from? That's from cool. I, yeah, I want to get into this. <laughs> you want to do therapy? <laughs> Let's do some um, therapy. Let's do some. <laughs> so what I got from it was, I mean, I there were a bunch of things I was doing mainly in my personal life, but also in my professional life that I think were not good things. I had a tendency, um, to bully people intellectually. I, I, I could, I, I just, I had a bunch of things that were not good. And I spent a lot of time trying to like dig into those. Mm -hmm. And the main thing I understood was like, there were parts of my, of things that behaviors I was doing and trying to understand the root causes. Mainly what it did for me was there were a bunch of things that I didn't like about like about myself mm-hmm. that I actually just got more comfortable like this is who I am mm-hmm. and then I started to adjust in my life to allow for those things to exist. It's not like bad behavior but um, for example as I said before I, I I did my therapy long before I did like all this other personality mm-hmm. testing. Like, uh-huh. like I learned inside of myself that I'm pretty autonomous, mm-hmm. right? I'm okay on my own. And I think at that time personally, it was like, I felt bad in my relationships that I kind of wanted to be alone inside of them. And to the other person, um, that was, you know, it like felt very weird, right? And yeah. alienating. And once I understood like, no, I'm actually, I'm okay alone. Mm-hmm. Um, in between, between relationships, um, I was okay being kind of not with someone for multiple years. And I was like, but previously that had like bothered me. Like, shouldn't I be with someone? Shouldn't I be in a relationship? Right. right? Okay. Um, right. and that's and, nice. And so I started to understand about myself. Yeah. I started to understand some things about like, um, some conflicts I was having in, in my life. Um, I kind of understood where they came from. And then I was able to either choose to change or choose to be okay with who I was, but not to be unhappy yeah. in the middle, right? Um, I think professionally what it did for me was it gave me a way, like going through the act of therapy, so being on one side of the couch, you witness how someone else you know, does it on that side. And I'll be honest, like a lot of times when I'm dealing with employees, I am mimicking like what a therapist did for me. Right. Learning how to listen, Yeah. learning how to key in on certain words they say, trying to be more empathetic, trying to hear what they're really saying, like underneath it. That's something you only learn by, like, I think by doing it yourself. Right. And, um, being a design manager and, uh, and now with a, a team as large as you have at Facebook, you have a lot of opportunities to stretch those muscles. Yeah. Be a counselor to the, your team. Like I, like being able, I don't know if I would have been able to without having gone through it myself. 
be able to hear what someone says and be like, hey, you know, you sound stressed in there. Like, mm-hmm. I know that's, that's maybe an obvious example, yeah. but like, or, or that doesn't sound like what, that's what's going on. Can we talk about, you know, this? Mm-hmm. And I think, so it's funny, the other day I wrote a very long note to my boss, mm-hmm. uh, who's a new boss for me, about, you know, like all the things I know about myself, including some of the stuff I talked about today, like the ox contest and some other things. And, yeah. and I, I said, like, look, this is what I know about myself. Mm-hmm. And she had a great line in our one to one of the day. She, I, we, we didn't talk about it, but at the end, she's like, hey, I want to thank you for that note. She's like, it's very rare someone publishes the API to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And, and I was like, that's what, fucking awesome. That's right. <laughs> what's, your, what's your API? Yeah. <laughs> that's Because like, these are the interfaces yeah. that yeah. work for me, yeah. right? And this is how you can interface with that. me. And I don't, like, that's yeah. That's a so whole I, different I, level. My right? response would be like, <laughs> nerd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that it was like, that was a really great way to think about it. I think actually, I think what she said was like, I wish everyone published an API. Yeah. Like, yeah. All the people who work for me would publish their API. Yeah. Um, and, and the, sorry, I, I'll name her. Margaret Stewart is the person who said that and she deserves great credit for, yeah. for, for that insight. Um, and, you know, that document had some things like here's my Myers-Briggs, here's my strength finder, because those are good tools mm-hmm. to dig at that stuff. But then I added a whole bunch of commentary based on what I knew about myself from things like therapy and self-introspection and self-awareness. And here's what I know about myself. And the other thing too that I've discovered is a real key to happiness is there are some things in yourself that you will just will never be great at and being okay with that, mm-hmm. right? Like, like that is a hugely important thing. And in your personal relationships with your wife or your partner, whoever mm-hmm. it is, and then in your professional relationships as well, being like, look, you're just not going to get this from me. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a mm-hmm. set of things that you're just not going to get from me. And if that's going to be a deal breaker, an issue, we should probably stop this relationship right now. Yeah, right. Um, so for example, in my professional career, as I've said already, don't have a highly need to be liked. I will always be a little bit actually in my professional interactions, a little bit distant. I mean, I'm, I'm Hopefully you can see I'm yeah. friendly and yeah, yeah. like I'm willing to share and things like that. Yeah. But like there's a level of kind of unconditional warmth that I just don't do. Yeah. And I can be pretty honest about that because I know that about myself. And there are people out there who just want unconditional praise. That's how motivates them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will be bad at that. Mm. <laughs> I'm pretty stingy with my praise. Yeah. Um, I know that about myself. I will be honest about it. And if that's what that employee needs or person needs to thrive, I will probably be a crappy boss to them. Yeah. Knowing that is really important. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Then you can set expectations. You can work around your weaknesses if you need to. I will try to be better at that. Yeah. There will be a limit to how good at that I will be. Yeah. I think, I think, I think setting expectations is key because you have that information, you can relay it. And like, like, you know, I perceive that what you need is this and this and this, and my strengths are giving this, this, and this. Let's find a way to, to connect those things instead of consistently letting you down. Yeah, yeah. I have um, someone I'm working with right now where we were having not great one-to-ones, and I said, look, let me, like, I had to stop and say, like, look, let me tell you the conversation I will be most effective for you at, or like how I think about this. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about this first, this second, this third. And it, we were kind of in, he, he was kind of inverting it where yeah. he was talking about like the, what for me was the third most important thing first Mm -hmm. and trying to engage with me on that level. And I was not doing a great job of engaging on that level. Love languages. Yeah. What? (laughs) Love languages. No, no, it wasn't love. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying like, like the, the, you know, the idea of like, 
like uh, I want to have sex, but she wants gifts, or you know, like like she she gives words of affirmation, but oh, I want saying. you to cook me a dinner. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you're speaking different languages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've been talking about you know self awareness. We're talking about like being in control and understanding the situation that you're in. Um, is that the same as being a spiritual person or understanding spirituality? Yeah, I mean, I think that people gain self-awareness through a bunch of different methods, right? So some people, their self-awareness comes through spirituality, right? They're mm. spiritual beings, they have faith, and that's like an important component of who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. Like an example of that is, um, I was talking to Cameron Mole, mm-hmm. the designer. He's a Mormon. He's, his faith is incredibly important to him, and if you follow him and read you understand that a lot of his identity is wrapped up in his faith i think that's a very beautiful thing and it he is a lovely human being um and his faith sort of comprises that Mm -hmm. now for me for me Mm -hmm. uh, i'm not a very spiritual person it's not something that gives me a lot of um satisfaction or like Mm -hmm. i get a lot out of it um but what what i do get a lot of satisfaction is introspection um, and I've done it through things like therapy or just mm-hmm. spending a lot of time trying to be more self-aware. Mm-hmm. Some people do it through meditation. I think yeah. you know a lot of people like mindfulness and they try to connect with those parts of themselves. I think there are a lot of ways to get this. I think these are all interconnected concepts. Yeah, yeah. Um, with different paths to get to them. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I think one of the most valuable things designers can do is to be self-aware through whatever methods you, you, you do that. Um, understand the things about yourself and, you know, throughout my career, I think where I've been at my worst <laughs> is when I was not self-aware at all. Uh-huh. I was doing things just kind of like whatever the fuck I wanted. Yeah. And, and, and that was not good. Right. Um, so I think designers can really benefit from this, mm-hmm. um, from taking some time and like using whatever tools you want. Yeah. Right. That's a really good nugget, right? Because you have junior designers or a few designers or people that aren't even designers that are asking, how do I get into the industry or break into the industry? And the lasting skill to get here is understanding yourself. That doesn't really need to apply to design itself. No, I mean, I think, yeah. I think the, um, I can't remember who said this. Someone else I worked with said like, self-awareness is like so key because if I'm working with you and you don't understand what you're doing, and we're trying to get somewhere. It's like, first I have to get you to like understand what's going on. Then I got to get you to like the place we're trying to go to. And like, right. that's like a, that's a lot, that's a lot of distance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if you understand, like if you're self-aware, then it's much easier to like start from that place. Right. And get to where we're going. Right. So if I'm working with someone and I'm trying to get them to go somewhere because like, I just need them to be in this place. If they aren't even self-aware to where they are, that's like a huge distance to cover. Yeah. 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 John, this has been a really great conversation. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm like really thrilled to be able to like publish this, this podcast. I'm pretty, pretty proud of what we got, we've done so far. Yeah. Um, so we have another, uh, no. Okay. There's only one review. It's only one for this episode. Right. Right. It's okay. the only one. Um, cool. John, uh, if people want to learn more about you, what you're doing now, yeah. do you want to drop any, some places to where I can be found? Um, you can find me on, on medium Mm -hmm. i do publish there very infrequently Mm. um but i do when i have something to say i tend to say it there um i also tend to say more 
glib things on Twitter at JLax. <laughs> um, you can get me on on Facebook as well um, and follow me. Mm-hmm. I do actually pub. I do post fairly publicly there. Okay. So that's another good place. Those are the three dominant communication platforms that I use um, cool. uh, to find me. And then you'll hear me on. I guess other podcasts at some point. But Maybe you just I, search John Lax yeah, in the podcast app. Yeah, but we'll <laughs> a lot of I play those by ear. I don't do it. You, you well, can. we also have a special ed- episode coming out with John, which is like the editor's cut. The editor's cut. This is the unheard, like <laughs> us hanging out for an hour before we started recording. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John, one last thing. Yeah. Uh, Los and I are, are doing this new thing where we're asking the people we, we hang out with to nominate the next person that we're going to interview. So, can you on the air nominate who we should talk to? Daniel Burka. Daniel Burka. You gotta go to New York though. You gotta wait till he comes back here. Uh, he is cool he, with me. Yeah, New York. He is Daniel, also Canadian. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm sensing a bias. Google Ventures, <laughs> Google Ventures design partner. Um, um, and then, if you are unable to get to New York. I would say Jake Knapp, who's a Google Venture Design Partner here in San Francisco. Okay. All right. We've got two, uh, two nominations. Are, and I, both in the same company, but both incredible human beings. Lots to say about design. Awesome. Um, and yeah, I think they would be great. Okay. Fantastic. Thank I'll you, John. I will call them out. Okay. It's a good shout <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for, for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. Sounds good. Oh, you can also find us oh, everywhere. <laughs> Google Trivin' Lowe's, and we got the that. SEO unlock. Ha, ha, ha.